Welcome to episode 705 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Monday, June 17th. I'm your host, Paul Spohr, and I'm flying solo again. Back-to-back episodes. Hopefully, you're not too tired of me. This one won't go two hours. In fact, I'm going to jump right into it. Got some news and notes to discuss. Then I'm going to get into some of the struggling star hitters and kind of discuss uh, kind of what my outlook is on them. Let's be honest. A lot of it isn't particularly actionable as far as you know, cutting them or sitting them. Uh, and once I get to the group, you'll understand why. But we do want to check in and kind of see where they're at. Let's start with the transactions first, though, and get out to New York. I remember on the uh, the last one, just the last episode that I did, I was doing the position check-ins and kind of talking about Edwin and Canarcion and saying, I'm not sure where he's going to go. And I skipped over New York completely because Luke Voigt has first base and I figured as they kind of get all these guys back, DH is going to be covered either as a revolving door um, or maybe you can bring Judge back a little bit earlier and, and park him at DH for a little while. But then you give you give Stanton days off there. You can give Sanchez days off there. I mean, I kind of thought that's what they were going to do. But now it looks like it's going to be Void at first and Canarsione at DH. Well, they can kind of flip-flop too, by the way, because Edwin... Edwin has uh, played plenty of the field this year, so you can really get him out there if you want. If you want to put Luke Voigt at DH, they can kind of alternate. But they're going to man those two spots. Could Frazier get sent out? I mean, that's a tough blow. Everyone seems to be jumping immediately to the fact that he's going to be trade bait. I'm not so sure on that, if only because of the injuries that they've experienced this year. Not that every team isn't painfully aware of how injuries can impact their season, but the Yankees, better than any other in, in certainly recent memory, have had such devastating injuries that I'm not sure that they're going to run out a 24-year-old right away and just get rid of him. Now, obviously, if they get the right deal and he can be the centerpiece of something that they want, probably pitching. I can't imagine that they really need anything on the uh, on the infield that they would get for Quint Frazier. So he may be out. Um I don't think it's automatic, though. I, I'm I'm closer to a 50-50, whereas a lot of, a lot of folks seem to be running to like 75-25 that Clint Frazier's gone since he was sent out. He was hitting very well, but of course his defense was horrid, and so that might lower the price. And then maybe the Yankees aren't going to be happy with that price, and they want to build back some of that value, you know, get get his defense improved, and then they can say, oh, you know, Clint Frazier scouts saw him with visually improved defense, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know what, what about that. But let's talk about Edwin. Because Edwin Ignacion comes over with an AL lead in home runs from the Mariners. I think he has 21. In fact, let me see if that's still leading the AL. Maybe not, because there were a lot of runs this weekend. It is. It is. 21 is still leading. And so he's going to bat, uh, I think, fifth tonight for the Yankees playing DH. The park and team context is an unmitigated improvement, Right? Obviously, he's coming from Seattle. Safeco versus Yankee Stadium. Yankees lineup versus Mariners. Duh. But is this going to cost him some time? Now, I can't see a scenario where Encarnacion playing as we've seen him this year, which is kind of back to like dang near peak. His batting average isn't as good. But you kind of look, I mean, just go just go off of um, just go off of the standard WRC plus something like that that we use and um, you know Encarnacion is right back in line a little bit under his peak his true peak which was say 2012 through 2015 where he was at 150 146 151 150 
That's a brilliant run, by the way. But then the year after that, he was at 136. So that was kind of the tail end of that. Ooh, well, no, because then he was 130. Honestly, last year was the only down year for Edwin at 115 on the WRC+. Plus. Still went 32-107 with homers and RBIs and missed time. Only played 137 games. That was a four-year low for him. So this is just a rebound to kind of keep that soft uh soft trajectory or soft trajectory into his twilight continuing and you know there was a lot of confidence i remember at his peak that edwin encarnacion was going to be somebody who would age gracefully because he had a lot of room to gain strikeouts without it crippling him and he and he has added he used to be kind of a 15 percent guy he's been about a 20 percent the last three years he was a little bit higher last year at 23 percent this year back down to 19 and he's still continuing to take his walks so this could be a great move. I, I would operate as, as this is a plus move. I'm not going to worry so much about the, the missed time. Maybe it's a game here and there. But frankly, at age 36, maybe that's not so bad. Look what he did in 137 games last year. I mentioned the 32-107. I mean, you want more than 11 homers the rest of the year when he's already got 21. So they cert- you know the, the folks who have him don't want uh, only 11 homers the rest of the way. But maybe another... I'm going to say another 18 homers. Ah, that feels light. Um I'm going to say okay, I'll just go I'll just go another 20. He's, he's eclipsing 40 again. Edwin's eclipsing 40. He's going to hit 41. So 20 more homers, but then a boatload of RBIs and runs. I mean, on that club, even hitting 5th, I got no problem with that DD Glaber right behind him. Hit they can drive him in. Obviously, he's going to need, you know, either home runs or uh couple hits to to score him he's not fleet of foot but the Edwin and Canarsale move overall it's a positive I would not get hung up on potential playing time loss a game here and there is not the end of the world and I think the park and lineup impact is better than a game off here and there Mike Clevenger set to return tonight I believe being Monday the 17th and that's huge news obviously those who have him on their team uh, it's great that he can return on a Monday so you can feel confident starting him and getting him in the lineup from Jump Street there. It sucks when a guy might might return on a Wednesday. You know, he's projected on a Wednesday or a Thursday. He gets push, pushed back, and then you get nothing for the week. This is So this is not only a Monday that you are confident in because he's guaranteed to start today, but then it's a two-star week, and he gets at Texas versus Detroit. If he can stand tall the night for five strong, I don't know if he's going to come back and be fully unleashed. Going to Texas is not easy. We've discussed it multiple times about how the Texas lineup is sharp. But if he goes and stands tall for five solid innings, you know, five strikeouts, two runs, you know, maybe a walk or two and and four four or five hits, one of them's a homer or something. I don't know, nothing crazy. Just a decent outing. Then you get the gem potentially against Detroit coming on the weekend for Clevenger. So the expectations for him, of course, are, are to – hopefully ramp back quickly into the excellence that we'd seen last year. Um, Truthfully, the year before, too, it wasn't a full season. It was 122 innings, but then last year for 200 innings, and this year for the first 12 innings. Now that's two starts, but, man, he came out, and Clev Dog looked, I mean, as good as last year, if not better, um, without getting too hyped over two starts. So this is a boon. If you survived with him, if if your team kind of hung around or – if you somehow magically held strong and didn't even lose ground because you, you know, got Brandon Woodruff and Domingo Herman and you've been playing Pablo Lopez right and Frankie Montas or you know any number of those those type of breakouts, 
then kudos to you because this is a major addition. This is a fantasy ace. He may not be immediately this week for Clevenger, but going forward, the overall expectation is fantasy ace, which isn't quite ace-ace like a Scherzer, but it's that second tier down. Dallas Keuchel is set to debut Friday. Now, this is, this is one of those tough ones, right? Now, he's not returning from injury, so you should feel like if you got Keuchel and you're looking to play him, then put him in because they, they've got him slated for Friday and it would take something vastly unexpected for that to not happen. Whereas with a guy who's returning from injury, it could just be, oh, you know, we were wrong on the timeline. Something flared up during a bullpen, whatever. That's not the case with Keuchel. He threw 14 innings down in the minors, struck out 13, allowed 12 hits, three runs, two walks. That was one started A ball, one started double A. Those are just tune-ups. I'm not even... Even though the results were good, 193 RA, one whip, uh, who cares? We got to see him on the field against major leaguers. That wasn't even AAA, so it doesn't matter. It's all just tune-up. Let's see what he's got. Let's remind folks that he was a 374-131 guy last year. That was where Dallas Keuchel was with ERA and whip. The whip's a little high. The ERA is certainly playable in all formats. He did allow the most hits in, in baseball at 211. Now, part of that is just volume. He also faced the most batters. But it was a 9.3 hits per nine rate. So, yes, it like when you have you know even even the most strikeouts or or most whatever, some of that is the what is that called the the survivor bias of reaching X amount of innings to to even be in that consideration. But we're not going to sit here and pretend that 211 hits in 205 innings, 204 and two thirds to be exact for Keuchel is good. I think. If you plan for for last year and take anything else as gravy, then you're in the right spot. If you're expecting him to be your savior and, you know, pitch like 2017, 290 ERA, 112 whip, if that's your expectation or anything close to that low threes with a sub 115 whip, if you need that, you're likely to be disappointed. But if you can take on 374 with the poor whip, maybe you've got some guys on the other end who have a, maybe a challenged ERA but a good whip, and they can kind of balance out into like a, a super pitcher with those two spots, you're going to be fine with Keiko. He could exceed that. The ways he could exceed that is going to the NL. That's just one extra gain automatically because you're facing the pitcher two times a game. Um, there's also the fact that he's not going to be, well, never mind, never mind, never mind, never mind. Sorry. I was going to say division's better, but of course the AL, the NL East has gotten better this year. Uh, he's on one of the good teams, but he's still going to be facing the Phillies, Mets, and Nats. And I know the Mets and Nats aren't juggernauts by any stretch, but they're not rollovers either. And this year, we'd have definitely rather had him be on the Astros. Of course, he doesn't face the Astros, so then it's Rangers are really the only dangerous team in that division. And then the Athletics, Angels, and Mariners. Mariners have completely fallen off. Athletics and Angels are kind of in between they're a cut below, I would say, the Mets and Nats probably, though. At any rate, Dallas Keuchel, you know what to expect. I'm eager to see what he can do. Um, and one one good aspect is that in that infield defense should be solid for him. Dansby Swanson's been uh, a gem with the glove for a whole minute. Uh, Ozzie Albies, I believe, is, is perfectly solid. Josh Donaldson, that was a calling card for a while. I, I think he's maintained solid defense. In fact, let me see if I can take a peek on this year's defense. Because I know his offense uh, had been particularly challenged, and then he hit three homers over the weekend. Like, I'm still here, and really pushed his numbers up. Let's see what his defense is this year. 
it's been like just at average pretty much. So uh, that's fine. That's fine. I mentioned that because of how much of a ground ball guy Keuchel is. And so you would want, uh, I know he's been a little bit below average. Pardon me. I might have overspoke. But it's it's noisy. It's uh, the UZR is minus 1.5. The defensive run save is actually four. Um, So, yeah, I would go with average for for Donaldson. And Freeman's a great first baseman. So good stuff there for Keuchel. He should be solid average for for all formats with the chance to be more because we've seen it as recently as 2017. Justin Upton is debuting on Monday, and he'll make that aforementioned Angels lineup a little bit more stout. It's going to be interesting. Um, well, I mean, it's cut and dried what's going to happen, but I will say that this kind of uh, pushes a decent bat to the bench for them because it's going to be Brian Goodwin who's going to be in more of a fourth outfielder role. And he'd been hitting pretty well. Now, he started off really hot, and I believe he's tapered off, but he's still at a 794 OPS on the season which is perfectly solid. Uh, you, you definitely you definitely take that all day. Let me see what he's been doing. Yeah, it was actually an excellent April, and then he's been pretty mediocre since then. 651 OPS in May, 669, which isn't that nice so far this month. So again, it's an easy changeover to get him out of there, but maybe Goodwin was being a little bit overexposed as a, a full-timer, and maybe spotting him will help him improve uh, and kind of get back on track to some of the stuff we saw from Brian Goodwin in April. Meanwhile, Upton should fit into that lineup in the five or six hole. It should be fourth. Actually, let me see where he's batting tonight. Because uh, I'm, I was looking at, at roster resource, and they've actually got him down at seventh. Let me see what I can find here. Angels line. Okay, he's fourth. Okay, good. That's exactly where he should be because you should not bat Pujols ahead of him. Although Pujols isn't playing. So this could be something where, oh, God, I hope not. I hope not. Anyway, it's Listella, Trout, Otani, Upton. With those three ahead of him, that's run production city. I'm a longtime Upton fan. I'm glad he's back. I'm excited to see what he can do. He's just been a, a solid player for such a long time. And he's had spikes of, of really strong work. But for the most part, he's just been a really quality player um, throughout his entire career. A couple down years that were still above average, but they were below expectations. Because don't forget, he's a former number one overall. I think that gets... I, I Maybe it's, I, I'm projecting my own thing onto everyone. I shouldn't do that. But I, I sometimes forget that. I'm like, damn, yeah, he was number one. And Melvin was number two. So... Uh, you know, we just had the wits with Bobby Witt Jr. being taken, the best father-son combo to be drafted um, at two and three, I believe. I bl- and son taken two, dad taken three. Nice one for the son to have over pops. But then the brothers, these have to be the best brothers taken one and two, right? I can't imagine. I don't think there's any pairs that went one-one each. At any rate, at any rate, that's a derailment. Thirty homers, eighty-five ribbies, eight steals, two fifty-seven average, eighty runs for. Uh, for Upton last year in 145 games, perfectly solid. All, all formats play, get him back in the lineup immediately, should be good to go. Noah Syndergaard's going to hit the injured list with a groin strain. We don't know the severity yet. Uh, actually, yes, we do. Sorry, the news is up. Low-grade right right hamstring strain, so that's good. Um, looks like he's just going to miss one start and should be able to return on June 26th when he's first available to return. He's been absolutely maddening this year. 
Um, I was a very big believer. I was kind of pushing him up over the consensus. I just, you know, maybe I should have watched more of the bad start. I mean, I did. I, I watched some of them. I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I watched every start that he had last year. But I probably watched, re- reviewed in my winter studies, you know, seven, eight of his starts. Um, couple, couple duds, but then mostly good ones. You know, just kind of see what works and... Maybe I just got too drunk off of those. and I, But the thing of it is, even the bad ones just weren't that bad last year. And so, I don't know. He, he just frustrates me, Syndergaard does, because he should be elite. And I don't really understand why he's not. Even last year, when you look at the game log and, and the stuff that he did and his lows weren't even that low, he probably still should have been better than he was. That's the crazy thing. And so, I don't know, you know, thankfully this isn't a major injury, and I know that he's struggled with health throughout his career, but a, a quick, you know, min stay on the IL is not the end of the world, so I'm not too worried about it. I'll get him back in the lineup as soon as Syndergaard's back, but I'm frustrated with him. That said, notice I mentioned that I'm going to put him right back in, because I just don't think that it's prudent to bench him. Because it's not about matchups, right? When guys show clear distinctions in matchups, all the good teams are kicking his butt or he's terrible at home or on the road or whatever the case may be, you have an idea of what to do, right? You have a game plan there. Now, it won't always, it's not 100%, but it generally works. You know, some guy who uh, struggles at, at home and finally tosses a gem there or something and you're like, ah, dang. I didn't have that one. Or he's been getting his butt kicked by all the good teams. Goes into L.A. and whoops the Dodgers or something. Okay, you're like, whatever. I missed that one. But with Thor, there's no rhyme or reason to it. The, 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 the opponent doesn't matter. It's on him. So when he's on, you give him a team of the American League All-Stars and he'll, he'll mow them down. When he's off, you give him the Marlins AAA and they'll rough him up for 10 hits in four innings. It's, it's insane. It's infuriating. Drink time. See, he drives me to drink. Red Bull, but still. That's going to kill me, too. Anyway, um, last bit of news here. Logan Allen set to debut for the Padres on Tuesday. That uh, he, He's another prospect. I mean, they've got prospects for days, y'all. You, you know of Cal Quantrill. Um, you probably know of, well, maybe. He was in a popular trade. That's why, I should, uh, that's why I'm saying that. But he's actually, he hasn't debuted, and he's pretty far away still now with his health. But you probably know of Anderson Espinosa, Mackenzie Gore, uh, Paddock, of course. Paddock and Quantrill you know about because they've been pitching this year. Mackenzie Gore was a high pick. Espinosa was in the Pomeranz deal, and it was heralded for them when it happened. And like I said, health has hit him. But they, they've got Allen. They've got uh, Adrian Morion. They've got Luis Patino. Um, Michael, uh, I think it's Michelle Baez. It's M-I-C-H-E-L. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. But uh, they've also got Ryan Weathers, Reggie Lawson, and I'm sure that, uh, I mean, Nick Margvicious, Margivich, Margivich's, or whatever. I don't have that name pronounced properly yet. I need to figure it out. But anyway, I think he was, let me just pull up our list. Yeah, he was 23rd on the list uh, for the Padres. So he was, even he was a prospect. He was actually ahead of Quantrill. At any rate, Allen was 8th. Let me see what they say about him, actually. Let's let's trust Eric and Kylie here. They put a 50 future on him. 
They've got him with a 50 fastball, 50 curve, 55 change. So look for the changeup. Let's see what that looks like. Uh, so two average, solid average pitches, one a little bit above average that has a chance to be even more. His command is a 40 right now, though, with potential to be a 50. Keep an eye on that then. And so it seems like right now some of the improvements that he's had have been with his strike throwing, but not so much with the command of those pitches. And what do we say that is? The difference between command and control. So he's improved his control a bit in, in recent times. Uh, namely last year in double-A, but then kind of lost it again in triple-A, and then this year in his repeat of triple-A. But the command therein has not been as strong. Hits are up, homers are up. So keep an eye on that. If you're, if you're going to watch Logan Allen's debut, listen, you're not looking for um, a catcher to never move his glove. Nobody hits the glove every time. I know we use that hyperbole when we're saying talking about someone dealing on a given night. Oh, you know, the catcher didn't move his glove once. Horseshit. Catcher moves his glove, you know, like an average of eight or nine inches or something. You know, always talks about this. Like a great pitch is like nine inches off of the target. So the catcher has to move a bunch. But I think we can understand if a pitcher's hitting his spots within the right range based on where and how aggressively the catcher has to move, right? If Hedges is set up inside on a lefty and has to yank all the way out to the, uh, um, and, and by the way, Logan Allen's a lefty, so they're trying to bust him inside with like a fastball and he has to yank it all the way out in the right-handed batter's box to go catch it, that was dog shit command. So anyway, look for that from Logan Allen. I'd keep an eye on the velo, uh, if he, as long as he's hitting regularly in the low 90s, he can pop 94, 95, and you know keep an eye on that changeup. That, that's going to be his winner. Can he get to the changeup and really keep guys off balance? Because if he can keep the righties off balance, then he's got a shot as a lefty himself. So I'm intrigued by him. I'm going to keep an eye on him. He's not somebody that I'm necessarily looking to pick up before I see him pitch. I know that that will increase the price, but... Um, I also don't have that option in a lot of leagues. I'll just be blunt with you guys. I play in one league that's fast as finger. It's a head-to-head league, so I could pick him up. But that's a 10-team mixer. So he's not... I don't think Logan Allen is viable to take before his first start there. And then the other leagues, like uh, the primary... The primary group of my leagues are otherwise NFBC, which Logan Allen would only be available if somebody drafted him and then cut him. Otherwise, minor leaguers come up after they've debuted. And so then there's... You know, everyone has a chance to fab them. And so we'll see if he beasts uh, on Tuesday. In fact, let me get his opponent. I haven't even given you guys that yet. My apologies. If he beasts against Milwaukee, that price is going to be through the roof. What we'd like to see, Charlotte, did you already pick up Logan Allen? Okay. Uh, What we'd like to see is like a medium outing, right? Five innings, three runs, four strikeouts. And then those of us who watch it and don't just box score scout it, we see like a good change up and some decent command, so we're in on it. But maybe the normies who didn't, who only box score scouted, are like, nah, nothing great. You know, we need something like that. Eight shutout would be cool. I'd be happy to watch that from Logan Allen, but then the price goes through the roof and I'm out. I'm not going to get Pete Lamberted where uh, his price was, was going high because people were excited about him and then he got his face caved in in Colorado because he pitched in the weekend of hell after back-to-back great outings against the Cubs he gives up eight and three innings against the Padres the ball was I mean they were using literal rubber balls out there um you know those bouncy balls that you get out of like 25 cent machine 
or the, the did you guys have these ones where if you put in more quarters like they're giant and you can you have multiple slots you can get a bigger bouncy ball surely some of you know what i'm talking about you got the small one the little nothing one but then you got the one that isn't quite baseball sized it's more like racquetball sized but it was that fully made of rubber just crazy bouncy ball at any rate that's what they were using in colorado it was a special weekend it was a father's day thing because nolan arenado's father used to manufacture those and so in celebration of his father they used those uh large size bouncy balls and that's why there were 412 runs scored a lot of people don't know that they just know oh, coors you know it was a special circumstance so those stats count we got all those stats but anyway that's the news let's talk a little bit about some struggling star hitters now this is actually something that i i been debating about either writing about or discussing on the pod then i got a message on twitter asking to discuss these types of players and a few of the uh names that that person included i'm gonna include here i'm like you know what you're right we do need to and the the person who tweeted me acknowledged like you know i understand it's not the main topic because a lot of it is just hold and and don't really do anything with them as far as action goes but we still want to talk about it kind of see where we're at Sometimes you do want to sell low. You just say, I'm going to get out from under this. I'm done. Uh, I think that's how I started to feel about Jose Ramirez a few weeks ago. Now I think you have to sell low. I don't even think you can do anything but but sell low. And this is not like some hindsight like, oh, I told you all that. I just was like, I don't know. I, I had a bad feeling about Jose Ramirez coming into the year. Nothing like this. Nothing like a complete meltdown. This is not me trying to say I... I, I eyeballed this from uh you know from the jump for me i was wondering why he was the unmitigated number three guy he had a brilliant year last year but that was very clearly just an obscene career year. i don't know he was also great the year before it's anyway i'm not trying to get into jose ramirez because he's not even included on here because he's been talked to death my only point was i could understand taking him three i didn't think he was the unchallenged number three that's all that was my only point so, to be honest, I didn't call a meltdown or a fallback really at all. I just was more comfortable trying to get him at like 8 or 9 than I was 3. I, I'm a Nolan Arenado guy through and through. I keep taking, you know, I'm always ready to take him top 3 or 4 uh, because it's just guaranteed production. So, anyway, let's get into the guys that we are going to talk about. Let's start with Manny Machado because... We got a little bit of a problem here. If you'll recall, there was a big backslide from what he did with Baltimore to what he did with the Dodgers last year. Remember, I believe he, I believe he started off horribly with the Dodgers. Um, now, the one thing that came back right away with the Dodgers was his defense, and I wonder. This is hyperbole or um, conjecture, speculation, but given what we know about. Machado's hustle I wonder I don't know but I wonder if some of the defensive shortcomings last year prior to the trade were just maybe dialing it back a little bit preserving himself getting traded getting independent raise dialing it back up on the field he was raking so he was keeping his energy focused as, as a hitter he hit 963 OPS with Baltimore before he was traded but was the defense maybe just like eh I can chill. I'll be all right. Uh, I don't know for sure. Just a guess. Just a spec. 
This year, by the way, defense is he's at minus two on defensive runs saved and minus 0.5 on uh, on UZR. So he's average, right? But he went from minus 18 defensive runs saved to five plus uh, to plus five uh, with the Dodgers from the Orioles to the Dodgers last year. So, and honestly. Um, his big defensive run save numbers have come at third base anyway. In fact, he's split his time pretty evenly between third and short, 313, 313 innings at third, 299 at short, and he's four DRS at third base. Third base clearly his best position. At any rate, we're here to talk about his hitting and what's going on with that. He went down from a 155 to a 121 when he went from the Orioles to the Dodgers. So Machado already sliced off 34 points there, but a 121 still plays, right? If you take his Dodger numbers and full season them, 66 games is not an awful thing to pace. Like it's still you you still want to always be careful with paces, but you're not pacing two good weeks or something. 66 games, okay. It would have paced out to 32-104 with 89 runs uh, and 15 steals with a 273 average. That's a hell of a season. You're taking that all day to the bank with Machado. Now, we're 70 games into his um, into his San Diego career, and he's hitting 261, so he's 12 points under that batting average. He's pacing for 90, or excuse me, 31 homers, 91 ribbies, 95 runs, only three steals. So the average and the steals just they're they're so unpredictable with somebody like Machado. I didn't even come in expecting any. Literally, I when I when I drafted him or mocked him because I only got him in mocks. I never ended up uh, drafting him. I, I put him down or in my mind like four steals. Like it's not even though he had nine and fourteen the two years before, it was it was two well that was only in half a season, but it was we'll say four, twenty, zero, nine, fourteen. Like it's it, we just have no idea on Manny Machado's speed. So who cares about that component? I need power production. I'm still getting it, I guess, at 31, 91, 95 if he plays a full season, which with Machado, it's actually not so bad to pace full season because he has 713, 696, 690, and 709 plate appearances the last four years. He had the hurt year in 2014, but then 710 uh, in 2013. So five of his last six years, the dude is a horse. So for all that talk about you know how he doesn't hustle and all that, Part of it is preservation. That's why I don't want to get in the soapbox again, but I was like, dude, we all understand that you don't have to run every single one out. Just why would you say that? At any rate, it just feels, I think this feels more disappointing than it is. Well, I mean, okay, there's a disappointing component. A 448 slug is not that great. Um, You know, sub 800 OPS. But it's looking a lot like um 2017 when he went 33 95 81 with a 259 average he did have nine steals but if if he has a difference of six stolen bases from nine to three and anybody otherwise carries out this pace it's gonna be fine and i think i understand why expectations stay high for him but with machado you are still buying a floor and even in that 2017 year, let's see what he was on the auction calculator that year. 
But what what I was gonna say was I think part of the reason that he's being seen as so bad um, is because of the relative strength of the positions that he plays, both of them. So let's go look at shortstop and see where he is on on the uh, Rasball Player Rater real quick. And remember, we use the Rasball Player Rater because they number their rows. The auction calculator doesn't, so it's a it's a bigger pain in the butt, especially when you're scrolling down all the way. And you're like. What was I counting? 38? Uh, let me see. But Machado at short is 17th. Like, that just doesn't feel that special. And then at third, he's 15th. So he's a little bit better at third. Um, it's, it's, it's strength is a little bit lighter. Keep in mind, this is uh, Yahoo eligibility, which has five game. So it can include some guys that... Uh, that might be a little bit lighter. Um, let me, I was sorry, I was scanning to see if there were any any such guys that I could eyeball. But yeah, I think part of it is just the the depth of both these positions. I I understand that though, right? Because then it the calculus when you go back on it, you're like, well, I didn't have to take him here because these both these positions, while he does have the flexibility to play both for Machado, they're deeper. I could have waited. I will say that's part of the reason I did pass on him. Again, this is not about me trying to be like, because now I feel like I'm trying to brag about Ramirez, which I called nothing of that. But with Machado, the reason I passed was like, I do like the depth at the position. One of the guys I loved this year was Matt Chapman, who was actually at 14, right ahead of Manny Machado. Um, And then shortstop, we talked about how absurdly, the whole industry uh, discussed how absurdly deep that was. I want to look up where Machado went in the, season in season leagues at nfbc he was the 45th pick overall which is still pretty high um i don't know i think this might just be you know kind of where he lives and he can he can spike a little bit up and down but i think it's more i don't know is it is it as simple as being kind of babip related to where it can spike or 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 the extra steals because I did I did kind of shoo away the nine to th- three steals but those six probably had a couple dollars of value I mean they would probably if he had a couple more steals right now and he was pacing toward nine I bet it would move him up like four spots on the player raider all of a sudden he'd be up at 11 and then you're like yeah that's still not where I drafted him to be but I'll take that so I don't know um I wonder if part of it is uh prior to this weekend at least the offense the, the team was in a bit of a malaise they were kind of uh, there's they're, in fact i think they only won two out, or they did win two out of three no no it was a two two split that's right i was like I, I didn't even think they won the series but um you know outside of this weekend it hasn't been good this month and even this weekend like i said they only went two and two because it's four game set that started on thursday but prior to that they were three and eight on the month with numbers of three, three, eight is good. Six, five, 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 one, two, five, two, uh, on the offense. There are no double digits, only one twice above five. So I don't know. I think there's a little bit more here from Machado. He's not somebody I'd buy. I just kind of hold him if I got him. And otherwise I think the name value would be too expensive to buy. Bryce Harper's up next. And now this one, 
This one, I think, is more maddening because the expectations were definitely higher. Part of that is, well, never mind. Oh, my God. I almost just said something so stupid. I'll just say it. I was going to say part of it was going to a new place. Hello. So did Manny Machado. But I think there was more hype around Bryce Harper going to Philly than Machado going to San Diego just because San Diego is a little bit more of an unknown this year. And, like, they came out of the gun, out of the gates firing. They've They've – falling back a little bit they're still in the in the hunt but uh meanwhile philly is still performing despite the fact that harper hasn't been great they are still performing which says more about the depth of that team he's still getting on base at a you know 356 clip which is great but 247 356 464 i mean you can't even just say that this is like last year because well i guess it's close to last year at the first half is he going to turn it on in the second half again though let me give you his first half, second half splits last year. Harper in the first half was worse. He was 214, 365, 468, but he did he did clock 23 homers. Now that was a bigger first half. I don't know if we're going to get, well, actually, I think we're going to have kind of a similar split, right? If there's about, nah, there's not quite 30 games, never mind. It'll be close-ish. Um, it was, there was, he had 94 games in the first half last year, but he'll, it'll be 90-something, right? I think close. Eh, who knows? Ignore me. Um, but then in the second half, 300, 434, 538 for Harper. He was himself, uh, particularly over the last two months, 959 OPS in uh, aug- from August 1st on with nine homers, five steals, 36 ribbies, and 37 runs scored. So I don't know. Like I still feel like there's more coming. But I'm also a Harper backer, so I want to put that bias out there. Like I tend to believe in the in the rosier outlook of him. There are worrying things. I think he's pressing, which is frustrating because I I, w- I kind of was hoping that he was the kind of guy who didn't go through that. But maybe that's just a natural kind of thing, and it just happens. You know, you get that kind of contract. You wanna you wanna make it worthwhile right away. Even though it's 13 years, there's going to be ebbs and flows. You're going to have so much time to really make yourself worth it. You want to come out, boom, and go ham and put up another uh, 2015 kind of season in your debut because then that would carry weight. You know, even if if you do something like that in your first year, that carries weight for like the next three years, even if they are, say, good, bad, medium. You know, however you want to say split. Maybe he goes with the medium year right after the MVP year, but then good the next year and then bad the year after. There'd be goodwill fostered from that first season if he was able to do that, but Harper hasn't been, at least not yet. And the strikeout rate's up again, 29%. The walk rate's down um, from 19 to 14%. It's still great at 14%. That's why he's still getting on base at a good clip. But this has been been maddening. I, I understand... The batting average, again, we were hoping that with the big second half, the the better park, strong team. Not that he didn't have a strong te- team with Washington, but uh, remaining with a strong team. Let's get out of some of this batting average funk. But it's still been there, and the strikeouts have been frustrating. He is still pacing toward 94 runs and 112 ribbies, 28 homers. You definitely want more. When the ball is flying out of the yards, uh, uh, all these yards the way it is, and Harper's only pacing for 28, that... That'll piss you off because that's really frustrating. Tommy Lestella is pacing for 94 home runs. I'm just kidding. He's not pacing for that. But um, he's got more homers than Bryce Harper. 
That's crazy, dude. He has 15 homers. So he's pacing for like 36, 38. <laughs> Insane. Anyway, um, again, I, I, I'm not going to have a lot of like actionable moves on these guys here because I'm going to stay the course with my Machado, with my Harper, with my next guy who's Paul Goldschmidt. But I did want to dig deeper in here and get some more thoughts on, on what's going on with them. So hopefully this is still useful for you all to listen to if you have these guys uh, or if you're looking to trade for them. Now, I'm open to taking this. The thing of it is I'm open to buying low where you can, but I just don't think people are out there offering real tangible discounts on these guys, especially these first three here. As we get a little bit deeper in this list, maybe the next three you are getting real discounts on. Um but in, unless you are, I don't want to buy it at full market. I got to get a little something. And for me, if I'm buying a Goldie, a Harper, or a Machado, I'm not trying to give you my my 12th round standout that I didn't expect or something. I'm not trying to be insulting. But I want, you know, I'll give you, let's say we value them going forward as like third round assets if we were to redraft today. Something like that, second or third round. Um, or no, let's say, well, I'm trying to phrase this properly. I don't know. Obviously, they were first, second round guys. You're not getting first, second round. I'll give you like fourth, fifth round type of value. I'll give you a guy like a, um, hmm. I don't know. I might trade like an Eddie Rosario. For one of those three because Eddie Rosario is performing well I've gotten the excellence out of Eddie Rosario maybe I try to cash that in to try to catch the hotness of of one of the other three he's got 19 homers 52 ribbies 47 he's actually his slash line actually isn't that great 262 297 dude uh 517 power's been excellent for Eddie or, or like, you know, another twin, like a Nelson Cruz. Kepler, I think, would be more of offering that that kind of 12th round gem type that I'm saying I, I don't really want to do. If I'm coming with Kepler, I'm bringing something else to the table. Kepler and an arm for one of the one of those or something like that. But anyway, that's that's where I'd be. I, I do want a, a tangible discount without being insulting to the person that's that's run this time out with with the struggling player with Goldie. I feel like all three of these, I've said their name and then I have this pause where I'm just like exasperated because I don't, what the hell, dude? I, but we just went through this this rigmarole, as I mentioned with Harper. We went through it last year with Goldie. It did turn around quicker. I think by this point, well, this was around the point. We're actually about, eh, we're about two weeks later than it really started to turn around. He hit... He hit. Um, he opened the month at a 7.15 OPS, 210, 325, 390 for Paul Goldschmidt on June 1st last year. Uh, a, little, a little something, a little one for three with a homer on June 2nd, back to an 0 for four on June 3rd, a one for three on June 4th, but then boom, opens up a three for four on uh, June 5th which sets off a little five-game streak of multi-hit games. 
And, you know, that kind of looks like maybe, maybe that first homer was kind of the takeoff point on June 2nd. But just starting with the June 5th point gives you a nice, clean 100-game sample from that point till the end of the year. And he went 334, 423, 608 with 25 homers, 63 ribs, 61 runs for Paul Goldschmidt. He was great. But that started a couple weeks ago this time last year. So we're a little bit behind schedule on that. Is anything turning around for him? I feel like no. I feel like it's actually been a little bit worse lately. Yeah. <laughs> It kind of has his June. His June's actually been quite bad. 208, 309, 375 after entering the month at 810 on his OPS. I don't know. Is there some first year pressing? I talk about how I don't like um, pitchers in the first year with a new team, particularly on a big contract, not so much trade. So it wouldn't even apply to Goldschmidt if we expanded it to hitters. But is there is there a measure of pressing? I don't know. Actually. You know what's weird? Paul Goldschmidt's maintained an exceedingly high BABIP throughout his career, one that you would really associate with maybe the premium hitting speedsters. Because I don't usually speed alone wouldn't get this. You'd have to have some strong skill to go with it to maintain a career uh, 352 BABIP. That's even before this year, so it was probably like 350. Five coming into the year or something it's probably dropped a few points uh based on this year but i mean just fantastic babip totals for paul goldschmidt his 316 marks so far you would not classify as bad but it's a it's a it's a it's a strong jump down from where he's lived and i wonder how much that's playing a role in what we're seeing out of paul goldschmidt this year and we're not seeing a particular decline in line drive rate from 25% last year to uh, 22%. But it was at 19, 25, 23, 22. Like this year's, that's not exceedingly low by any stretch. Uh, I'm trying to see anything else different in the batted ball profile. Actually hitting the ball harder. He's going up the middle more. I wonder, is he getting one of those middle shifts for Paul Goldschmidt? I don't know on that. Uh, let me look at something else really quickly here. See if I can find something about him um, against the shift. Nope. When he's been shifted, he's killing him. <laughs> he dares he dares teams to shift him. He's at 379 off that. So, no, he's, he doesn't look like he is getting some sort of middle shift that's cutting Paul Goldschmidt out when he has all these uh, hits up the middle. So I don't really know. Looking at his Savant page, most of it's red. It's not blood red, though. It's kind of that light red. So it says that he's like, you know, he's fine. He's on the cusp. I'm actually, I don't really see any reasons to be particularly concerned about him. Now, again, his season line also isn't terrible. Um, It's just not Paul Goldschmidt. If he paces out, well, the RBIs are way down. (laughs) He'd pace out to 68 this year. He doesn't have a single stolen base, which I know it was, he only had seven last year. He was seven for 11. Maybe that should have been, you know, for a 31-year-old first baseman who's never done it with speed, but rather with with sharp base running, maybe that should have been like the beginning of the end. And I, I've heard some Goldschmidt uh, fantasy folks say, I was not even banking on steals this year. That's not what I'm worried about. I'm worried about the fact that he's in 262 and has 29 freaking ribbies. As far as those two things, there is a BABIP drop. 
I don't know what's going on with the ribbies. I'm going to check his runners in scoring position performance and see if that's... Oh, yeah. Brutal. Brutal. 622 OPS with runners in scoring position. He's just not delivering when he's getting opportunities. Now, let me see. Uh, let me see what this pace would be. Because I also think that there might be a lighter amount of opportunities, but let me check that against what he did last year for Paul Goldschmidt. Sorry, going a little bit deeper on him, just because I couldn't, just not really seeing anything that's uh, all that different, you know? Yeah, if you if you kind of use the same pace, a lot of it is the performance with runners in scoring position, but there are... Uh, fewer opportunities so far this year than there have been um or at least there than there was last year if you were to pace it out uh over a full season of of plate appearances with runners scoring position but with goldie i don't know man all three of these guys are in new places and you never know how that's going to affect somebody i don't know if that's playing a role it doesn't look like it though because i think we'd see more tangible issues with paul goldschmidt's line if that were some big major thing so i don't really know What's going on with him? Of the three, I think I'd be more inclined to buy Goldschmidt. For some reason, I feel like his price will be the cheapest. Um, Harper, the cachet with Harper is just substantial, especially with those who buy him. He's got his detractors out there, but they don't have him on their team, so it doesn't matter about what they think. And then uh, with Machado, the the middle infield eligibility, the the shortstop, third base, and he's got cachet as well, youth. So I think Goldie would be the cheapest of the three, and I'd go ahead and buy him. With Joey Votto coming up next, oh man, this is one of those ones. I think we—I'm not going to go too crazy on this one because I've—I've—I've I've, I've talked about this one too. This is almost Jose Ramirez-esque. I wrote about him in in the biggest fallers from the Second Chance leagues. Let me let me pull that up. That was back on May 23rd, and. I'm a sucker for him, as I mentioned here, but I just don't see any guarantees or, or even any great signs in his profile that he's going to return. Now, as I like to say, it's not always in the numbers, so you can't just um, you know rule out any sort of comeback because it's not in the numbers. That said, you, can't, you also have to be smart about just having blind faith and saying, well, he's done it before, and I trust Joey Votto, so he's going to come back because I don't really see it. I'll just be honest. Like He has improved a bit lately. I think that I don't know that that's the beginning of Surge Fest 2019 for Joey Votto. Like you look at it, okay, over the last um, over the last two weeks, 894 OPS with a couple homers, great. That's that's cool. I'm in. Uh, let's see it maintain. I'm not sold yet. I'm not close to sold based on two weeks. <laughs> not close. So this is one I'll continue to root for, and I'll I'll desperately pull for Votto to come out of it and, and go off again. But the power wasn't there all of last year. He has the same exact ISO this year, 136. Well, not same exact. It was 135 last year, but virtually the same exact. I just And the strikeout rate is way up, compromising the batting average. Uh, again, rooting for him hard. Got a few shares that I've, I'm just going to hang on to with Votto. But I don't, I don't see a lot of reason for hope here. You're, you're, it's a blind faith bet if you're really s- sticking with him. Which, hey, if you want to make that, that that's f- 
fine if you're doing it with a reasonable price, but don't just, uh, you know, go buy up a bunch of shares. Be like, ah, he's got to come back. He's Joey, Joey Votto because no, he doesn't. He's 35. Next up is Mitch Hanniger. And obviously we're all, we've all got, uh, we've all got him in our thoughts positively because of his ruptured testicle, a phrase I can barely say without keeling over. And uh, so he's on the IL for a while, but assessing what he's done to this point. Uh, so yeah, with him on the IL, you're not you're not dealing him unless you're just like giving him up. But uh, it's been a rough season. Beyond, uh, in addition to that, obviously that makes it the roughest season. The injury, but he does have 15 homers, great. But 223, 14, 463 strikeout rate has soared. From 22 to 29 percent. Once you start to get up there, I, I think it hits that cutoff point of like 25, 26, where each gain is a little bit more exponential. Because now you know now your your stones throw away from striking out a third of your at bats, and so a 20 percent homer to fly ball rate up from the 16 percent mark, which is not an insane jump, but it's a jump. It's helped mitigate some of the issues that uh, Hanniger was having on the field before this injury. Now, he was still pacing for some decent counting categories, and you're thinking, well, if he gets this 257 Babbitt on track at all, he doesn't need it to come all the way back to last year's 336. Um, if he if he can get, get it back up to 300, that's going to be a massive batting average improvement to go with his 40-homer pace. Um he is pacing for 119 runs and 83 ribbies. Obviously, he's not going to hit any pace right now because of the injury. But what can we expect when he comes back? Assuming he's healthy, ready to go, obviously, he's going to take enough time that he needs that he can swing and not have any sort of you know, issues there. I think he can be a 265 with pop and, and a little contribution of speed. Well, this injury compromises everything as far as expectations. We have to assume that when he comes back, he's going to be ready to go. I'll, I'll operate under that assumption and say that he's going to be strong, and I would, I would follow the guidelines of the, uh, of the um, projections. But I'm a, I'm a little bit nervous. I'm a little little bit nervous about uh, just how healthy he's going to be when he returns, and that's Mitch Hanniger. So obviously, I'm not buying at all right now. I got to just see where he's at when he gets back from the injury. Our last guy here is going to be Victor Robles, and um, this was a guy I came out of draft season lamenting that I didn't have like a billion shares. I just I wished I had him everywhere, and there were a couple spots where I was considering him and or or ready to take him if he had made it back, and then he didn't make it back, and I like, damn, then my biggest regret was not getting Robles. I did end up getting you know I got I got a little piece, but um, now I'm kind of like. It's not the end of the world that I didn't get full fully stocked. He's in 234, 303, 402. Give me the 9 and 9. I like that. 9 homers, 9 steals. But it's been a steady decline after a solid first month. Like It wasn't even a great first month. It was from accounting categories. He had 5 homers, 7 steals. But he only had a 782 OPS. But then it's down to 695. And so far this month it's down to 536. And the strikeouts have really jumped up. He already didn't walk much. Robles uh, didn't at, at a 6% clip last year in his small sample. And even in the minors, uh, just not really somebody who walks a whole lot outside of a little spike at AAA last year. This year is at 6% again, but it's it's, it's a little bit down from 6.1 to 5.5. Marginal. We'll, we'll call them both 
But the, like I said, the strikeout rate up from 18 to 25. And a, and a contact speedster guy like this striking out that much, I wonder if he's got a little bit of Ozzy Albies syndrome here from last year where he fell in love with the homers and kind of got hung up on, on doing all that and maybe going for those a bit more. I don't know for sure, but that is a concern that I have um, w- with Victor Owens. Fact is, though, he's just not hitting the ball very hard. Hard contact rate I know is not perfect by you know, the what we have, the soft, medium, hard. Uh, there's more detailed data available, and so if you want to deep dive on it, I, I always consider that viable. But for shorthand, just going from last year's 35% in his small sample down to 20, no matter what, 23% hard contact, there's no, there's no deeper slicing that's going to make that better, right? That That's bad no matter. Where you really have to be careful is with like a, a high hard hit rate, how much of it is on the lower end of the threshold. And so it's high or it's hard hit, but playable. You know, it wasn't particularly special hard hit content because I think the threshold is like 85 plus on ours, 85 miles per hour plus. That's not, you know, it's not like a bunch of barrels necessarily. So anyway, Victor Robles is down at 23%. It's not good. It's not good. Defense and speed are keeping him in the lineup. Um, but his his little stat cast snapshot of his of his batting is ice, dude. The exit velo zero with percentile, bruh. How you gonna be in the zero with percentile? Is zero with even a word? Zero with. Oh hell yeah, zero with. Get out of here. Anyway, zero with percentile guy. Come on. What's going on with that? Like, that's alarming as hell. So, this is this is the downside of, of the rookies, right? Again, we, we highlighted this when some of the call-up rookies failed and got sent back down. This is, the, this is how it goes wrong. There's a lot of attention, and rightfully so, on like Pete Alonzo and um, Austin Riley when he went off. It goes wrong a lot, too. This is this is it going wrong. Because yeah, he's got the nine and nine, which you can extrapolate out, but then when you want to be intellectually honest, you have to acknowledge that five and seven of those homers and steals came in the first month. So he's at four two since May first. And it's two for two for nine. It's or excuse me, um two for two for five. He has two two caught. Oh, dude, two for nine would be insane. He has two stolen, three caught for Victor Robles uh, since May first. So this is bad, and I think he's benchable in some leagues right now. I know it's gonna suck when you bench him and he puts up that three stolen base day. I would not advocate for cutting. Um, in most leagues, ten team mixed. He's certainly on the cutting block. If you cut him, you see something out there, I can understand it. He certainly hasn't done enough to where, oh, you can't cut Victor Robles because it's a name, right? You feel like you can't? Yeah, you can. 10-team, you can. 12-team, I think he might even be close. 15-team, you're just reserving him right now. Hopefully, you have a better option. We got to see We gotta see some, some changes here, man. This is bad. This is really bad, and there's not a lot. That's pushing it in the right direction. In fact, a lot of it's pushing it 
further down or, or to continue to stay terrible. So Victor Robles is, is the biggest concern here. He has the least pedigree of the group, but he was drafted very highly. That's why he was included here. He might seem out of place with these other five. It's four superstars, Harper, Goldschmidt, Machado, Votto, and then an emerging star in Hanniger who did at least have two seasons of uh, quality work coming in, and then Robles. He's, he's the odd man out, obviously, but his ADP was high enough to still be included in here as a struggling um, expected to be star. He wasn't quite a star, but he was treated as such at the draft table because of that electric speed. And because of his pedigree. Anyway, that's going to wrap it up. So I'm, I'm holding Machado, holding Harper, holding Goldschmidt, also knocking on some doors about him, trying to trade for him. Passing on Votto, uh, just holding the shares that I have, but not, not trying to trade for him. Uh, passing on Hanager right now, too, because of the injury. And then considering cutting Robles, definitely benching him. And I am open to selling low. If I can get something that I don't hate, because it, it might not even be low for you. Say you're really keen on somebody. I'm trying to think of somebody who's like been solid as a pitcher, but not amazing, but also doesn't have like a hot, uh, you know, trade market name that's like oh when i'm trading him i better be getting massive returns could you trade victor robles to a speed starved team for robbie ray no no here we go for zach wheeler i'll take zach wheeler for him i don't think that's crazy to offer i would definitely do that though hell i'd take my boy joe musgrove i understand that he's been through some issues i'd still take him personally but find your guy in that tier that you like, that range. Maybe you're a John Graybacker, but you couldn't pay me to mess with Colorado. Joey Lucchese, something like that. So that's what I'd do with, with Robles. Anyway, uh, we'll be back later this week. Maybe just, I think Justin and I might go tomorrow since we didn't go today and today was the solo. But either way, you're going to have uh, two more episodes coming this week with uh, me and Justin or maybe another solo with me. I don't know. It might be only one with him. Got to make sure that his schedule's uh, set. And then Fireside. We'll do a Fireside this week. And um, hit me with topics on Twitter. Pitchers you want to hear about. If you want a single deep dive pitcher, let me know. If you want a group, that's okay too. I love the single deep dives, but I'm also open to um, you know a, a group. If there's a theme that you're thinking of that you'd like to hear us cover. So anyway, just let me know on that on Twitter, at Spore. Anyway, thanks for listening. Peace. <laughs>